Jesus defies convention to engage a Samaritan woman in conversation. Her testimony, in turn, leads many others to faith. The Holy Gospel according to John, the fourth chapter. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you say that the only place where people must worship is in, Jer is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more? Then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of this, his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise <clears throat> so last week, I opened by asking you to think about fiction, like a mystery novel. And I talked about how the writer controls the world of their characters and to some extent their readers revealing clues at their will. This week, think about nonfiction, like a history book. Who wrote it? Who did they write it to? Why did they write it? As an example, one of the books assigned to us in multicultural ministry was A Different Mirror, A History of Multicultural America by Ronald Takaki. Bless you. Takaki's doctorate is in American history. His dissertation was on American slavery and he even taught the very first black history class at UCLA back in 1966. In a different mirror, Dr. Takaki gives his readers, both scholars of American history and interested members of the public, a layered and well-constructed multicultural history of what we today call the U.S. of A. From before Columbus got lost trying to find India through the present, which at the time was about 1993. His presentation is linear, telling about multiple cultural and ethnic stories happening at the same time. For example, what was happening with the slave trade, and at the same time, what was happening with indigenous populations. And at the same time, what immigrant groups were welcome without restriction, and what immigrants were restricted. Takaki himself was born in the U.S. territory of Hawaii which was itself a sovereign nation before the U.S. annexed it for its military purposes, to Japanese immigrants. Seen his whole life by some as only a Jap and not as a native-born U.S. citizen, an American, his work was largely about sharing the stories of Japanese and other Asian Americans and the stories of other ethnic, racial, multicultural groups. He constantly asked against and within this tapestry of multiple cultural histories, what does it mean to be an American? Who wrote it? 
Who did they write to? Why did they write it? These are questions we should ask when we read scripture. Even with what we know about Paul and having some of his letters addressed to specific people or communities, there's a lot more question asking than answering. We don't know who authored any of our Gospels. Scholars theorize based on textual clues like references to the Hebrew scriptures, how the Greek is utilized, named locations, timelines, and so on about that first intended audience of each, about the location or the locations of composition and the approximate dates of composition. So then, what do we know or can reasonably assume about each of these writers? What things did they emphasize or what do we think was their point? As we read, what does the writer who wasn't there, highlight about Jesus' life and teachings, the people around Jesus. What do we read alongside Bible studies, annotated Bibles, whatever, to help us better understand these ancient and sacralized texts? Turning now to our gospel reading, I said last week that our featured disciple Nicodemus and this week's featured disciple, the unnamed Samaritan woman at the well, are characters unique to John. Why? I don't have the answer. Again, more questions than answers. If we read their story side by side, skipping over some John the Baptizer and other stuff in between, we see Jesus being approached at night by a religious insider seeking to know and to be known. And then we see a religious outsider, a woman being approached by the one who knows us. We hear Jesus speak to both about water and life and spirit. We hear both Nicodemus and this unnamed woman engage Jesus in conversation, asking questions, being theologically curious. We hear Jesus respond with words about seeing, rebirth, believing, thirsting, and never thirsting again. Jesus is in Jerusalem, the center of power for Judaism, when the Pharisee Nicodemus comes to him, calling him rabbi, teacher, and one from God. He is retreating back to Galilee and has to pass through Samaria, a territory with a long and complicated history with the rest of the northern kingdom in order to get home. Again, Nicodemus approaches a fellow Jew by night seeking something but still wanting safety in the Jewish city. She is approached by a Jewish man at peak daylight and has revealed to her things she never knew she didn't know. And she calls others to come and experience the word, living water, for themselves. Nicodemus, coming at night, a metaphor for still unbelief, asks questions, seek answers and understanding. But his section ends with the first statement of judgment by John's Jesus. In the next encounter with an unlikely disciple, Jesus 
approaches an unnamed woman in daylight and engages her in conversation. Hers ends with her leaving her water jug, running to her people, telling them what she has experienced, calling them to go back with her. Her conversation converts and invites others into a new life in faith. Again, remember, we said last week that in conversation, things like revelation, understanding, possibility, and openness happen. Conversations like these are examples of theological curiosity rather than doctrinal certainty. I wonder, how can this be? What does this mean? Rather than, well, this is what the church says. These and other conversations in the fourth gospel represent what it means to truly abide in Jesus. You may have noticed that Jesus' inner circle of disciples following him all around did not ask him any questions. They seem to have just talked a bit amongst themselves and not asked Jesus any questions. Conversations across history have set events in motion, have stopped others, have acted as motivation for justice. Conversations can invite us into dialogue, into learning, to question what we had previously known and break open new understanding. Learning history, the histories of people different from ourselves, people who may not look exactly like us, invites us into dialogue, invites us to question old assumptions and break ourselves open to new perspectives. Ministerium met this past week, and our host pastor, Pastor Eric, read that long gospel lesson and then preached on it. It was a good sermon. But what I remember most is something that he said almost in passing after our worship that while reading the lesson to us, he noticed for the first time ever that the woman, after her conversation with Jesus, left her water jar when she went to share her experience. Bless you. This unnamed woman, an outsider to Jesus and his inner circle, received the living water. She will never thirst again or return to the well for a refill that does not last. I wonder this morning, how have our conversations, our experiences with the divine filled each of us with living water? Are any of us truly ready to leave behind our water jars and never know thirst again? As much as I want that for us, I also kind of hope that looking around the world, that we do still thirst for God, for justice, for peace, for mercy, for all to be filled with God's goodness and grace. I hope, I pray we are still seeking that living water and never thirst again. Amen. Amen.